Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the worst game of rugby we've seen in the World Cup so far. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge. With Squidge. Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. Hello and welcome to the Squidge Rugby World Cup retrospective, where our task for the evening is to try and somehow spin what that commentator said out into an hour or so. <laughs> I am Robbie or Squidge or whatever you call me. I'm joined by Mr. Will Owen. How are you doing? I'm all right. And to be honest, I think after watching this game, I could really, really do with being out of my depth in some gardening-based conversations, right? <laughs> yeah. And I want to say a big welcome back and sorry to from the Blood Mud podcast, Lee Calvert. How are we doing? How are we? Hello, I'm fine. I would much rather have a full gardening based conversation than talk about this thing that we have to talk about for the next however long it lasts. I saw a photo of your garden last week and it looks incredible. It's been a lot of work. It's been a lot yeah. of work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's you can a, tell. It, it, it's 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 a big plot. I don't really, I don't like to brag. But it is. I live in North Wales. You get a big plot for a lot less money than a lot of other yeah. places. But uh, too big, which is why I've let half of it go to Meadow on purpose oh, so really? I can mow it. But yeah, it's a. So oh. yeah, my next task will is I've got 150 tulip bulbs coming in two weeks. I've got to plant them. That's my <laughs> that's my little treat for the autumn. I, this I, is who I am now, you, and I'm leaning would, hard into it. I was going to say, you would have been yeah. a billionaire in Holland in the 1800s. I would, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I was, it's happened at some point where like I've maybe seen you like post a photo of your garden on Instagram or something and it's made me realize like oh wait no this is what I listen to every Monday is discussions about this I need to like look at this and really yeah. take this in and like show interest in it because I'm... I have heard so many hours of conversation between you and Josh about that that garden my, my next step is I'm going to post like a zonal map of it so I can say right anybody who's listening I'm talking about box x3 and the planting that's going on there. That's my next step. Really, really focus in for the listener experience. I've just realised I should really, really make some jokes about the fact his name's Josh Gardner. You know what? That's never crossed my mind before. Yeah. But it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's right there, isn't it? It's right there. You can have that for free on the first, Thank you very first much. episode of the next series Don't of tell him, I'll just bring that on him next year. Yeah, yeah. He can just do that thing where he looks at me. <laughs> The last time you had me on, on Blood and Mud, I, the weekend beforehand, deliberately did the last bit of DIY I had hanging over from moving last year. Like you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> I 
felt like I've got to be prepared, and he didn't ask me about it. It didn't come up. That's it. so. I've I've now been on Blood and Murder. I believe maybe twice. I think I went on once with you, Lee, and once with just mm-hmm. Josh, right? And the first the first time when I was on with you, the very first question you asked me was, "Oh, have you done any DIY lately?" And I was like, "Oh shit, I didn't really prepare for this." And I kind of remembered throughout the course of the conversation. And then the next time, I like made an act of to note down, like, "Oh yeah, I haven't done anything that could be interpreted as DIY this weekend." And Josh didn't bring it up, funnily enough. But if ever I appear again, do you know that there will be notes made? <laughs> Absolutely, I will prepare. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know before, so you can actually prepare an answer. Okay, I don't, yeah, you don't leave guests good. looking foolish, do you? No, of course not. Of course not. No, um, no, no. We would never do that. Hence, getting yeah. you on this game. Yeah, Honestly, yeah. This get this game lasted a long time. Is what I would say. <laughs> it felt it, didn't it? It's. I mean, the the game today is England three, Wales sixteen from the quarterfinal. <laughs> The quarterfinal of the 1987 Rugby World Cup it took place in Brisbane. It, I mean, I, I think that's about all I've got to say about it. And we'll <laughs> yeah, see you next week. So this was allegedly a game that took place between two of the eight best teams in the world. Here, uh, do, do, I mean, at least is, is that top- what quarterfinal is? You know, I just at don't least want to this one to... was this World Cup was invitation only. There was no qualifying, so they might have just not invited one of the best teams. That's true. Like, um, I mean, I'd like to hope they didn't invite seven of the best teams. Yeah. Yes, notoriously, this hasn't come up on the podcast, but Western Samoa were on standby right up until like the day before the World Cup, just in case they had to fly out if someone dropped out, because <laughs> they're worried about Fiji and someone else maybe dropping out last minute. Wow! So they just fairness. had Western Samoa going like. We might need you, lads. Yeah, Western like Samoa just had their piss on a rolling boil for the next four <laughs> years until they turned up yeah. in Cardiff, basically, yeah. Fiji Very did have ready. their coup like nine days before the World Cup, yep. so it makes sense to have somebody on standby. But that's funny. But this game wasn't. I mean, so... <laughs> there were some funny bits. I'll have to say there were some bits where I did actually laugh out loud, which we'll get to. Oh, sure. yeah. Lee, I mean, so we haven't had you on since the 2011 series. What did you make of watching this back? And what are your kind of, what's your relationship pre-existing with kind of this era of rugby? Not well. So obviously in 1987, you two were still at least 25 years from away from being born. Weren't you? <laughs> but, uh, but in, but in, in 1987, I was 11 and I ah, just okay. moved to Wales actually mm. after my parents got divorced. I just moved to North Wales. Was it like you moved to whoever won this game? Yeah, yes. Yeah, I was sat there big crying, tears running down my face. <laughs> I've got to move from Lancashire because of you, Mike Harrison. Yeah, but it's like the, uh, the, um, the, um, so I just moved to Wales. So I, I think as people will know who listened to my pod before, don't know me. Mm. I did not have a rugby union upbringing. I grew up in Lee in Lancashire and everything was rugby league, basically. So I didn't really have a huge amount of relationship with rugby union other than thinking, that it was called look at the state of that tackling because that's what all my relatives said whenever it came on the television for any amount of time. So I didn't have a huge amount. I kind of really discovered rugby union and games like this towards the end of the 80s, early 90s, when being English was a bit more of a comfortable thing to be um, other than in this period because 80s England was absolutely awful. But uh, so, yeah, it wasn't something I'd I'd use. And you don't, apart from when asked to do things like this, it's not an era you jump back to very very quick very often no I, I tend to hone straight into the 90s like you do with lots of things i suppose that's when i was in my 20s so mm-hmm. i was 11 
I was already very upset about my parents' divorce. So in a way, I'm glad I didn't have any awareness of this game going on at the time. Yeah. <laughs> it might have been the distraction you needed. It might have been <laughs> something even worse. Yes, it could have been. But no, yeah, yeah, you that sounded a lot sadder than it, it, it meant to be, to be honest. I, it was fine. I just, you know, that's what it was life I've dealt with it. It's okay. But it's at the end. But yeah, it was, that, that's as much knowledge as I had. Sorry, Will. Yeah. <laughs> no, not a problem. No. I mean, with that in mind, do you remember any of these players or do you remember like a significant portion of them? Because there's a lot of them that we kind of weren't aware of. I mean, a lot of the Wales team you hear on kind of reputation or their mm. voices still popping up on Scrum Vive. Or they've um, been in on one of the many lists that Wales Online have done. Yeah. Yeah. They're in a Mark Orders list, which inexplicably starts with a quote from like... I mean, so Mark Orders did an article... This is a complete aside. Mark Orders did an article uh, last week, which started with a Woody Allen joke. Like a quote from a Woody... As Woody Allen once said, da 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 without any reference... It didn't come up again in the future of the article. Didn't really mean anything. Just completely pointed reference to a, a nonce. Um, yeah. As Woody Allen once said, you should marry your teenage children. Oh, <laughs> that's gone to the boldest players from the 80s, yeah. <laughs> It was very close to that. <laughs> so in terms of ones that I remember, I mm. remember the ones that were still around in the 90s, obviously. Mm. So from an England point of view, I remember John Webb. I remembered Rory Underwood. I remember I, everyone knew who Paul Rendell was, even though he'd kind of disappeared by the 90s, the judge, mm-hmm. Paul Rendell. Brian Moore, obviously, who's still, you know, a, a sort of laureate of Twitter now, isn't he? Yes, uh, indeed. Wade Dooley. I knew Nigel Redman. I remember Peter Winterbottom. Dean Richards, obviously. Uh, Richard Hill and Rob Andrew were on the bench. We didn't see them. And everyone knows Gary Chilcott because yeah. he's like this strange comedy character. Yes. From a Wales point of view, I knew, I remembered Richie Collins, and obviously the Moriarty brothers, Bob Norster, because he was always in the stands doing something, wasn't he? Even for years afterwards. Robert Jones and Jiffy, obviously. It's the only one I didn't really, I, from the back line of Wales, the only one I genuinely mm. didn't remember was Blevin Bowen. Mm. Mm. Sure. Yeah. He's been a player that I've really come to appreciate in this World Cup. I've warmed to it. Because yeah, yeah. what seems to happen in all of Wales' pool games is Jiffy runs up a blind alley, chucks it to Bowen, who somehow makes it work. Like, he is Jiffy's safety blanket. Yeah, and yeah. I just wish he was there on commentary as well, just so he could suddenly <laughs> pull it just round and say something. Correct sensible. him yeah. every time. Yeah, yeah, every time Jiffy Actually, there aren't up. numbers, Jonathan. <laughs> the, um... There's letters. Kevin Phillips, who's on the bench for Wales, mm. I do remember as being one of the most psychotic players in Feneath in this period. Yeah. So I was a little bit upset that he didn't make an appearance at any time, yeah. especially was yeah. it getting it was getting increasingly ill-tempered in the sort of <laughs> middle third. I think when I'm when I'm asking you, Lee, uh, which players you remember, my, I think what I'm trying to dig down to is: you have any idea who the hell Captain Mike Harrison was? Because we no. went into this podcast having not a clue. No, none, no, none whatsoever. And I'll get into this in a bit more detail. I had no idea who Peter Williams was, and I became endlessly fascinated with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are, I think we've got quite a lot to discuss on Peter Williams as this game goes on. And yeah, somehow Mike Harrison, I mean, we've covered this before, but the captaincy landed on him completely by accident. Yeah, um, it was literally a... Uh... People hold their hand, they had two players ruled out, and they went, who wants to be captain, lads? And he was the only person to put his hands up. And somehow he ends up England captain for the first ever World Cup with his yep. nickname Burglar Bill. You you shared the commentary from the Australian, I think it was Australian, mm. New Zealand commentary in your clip at the beginning yeah. of it. And obviously we had two links that we watched and I watched 
88 minutes of, sorry, 78 minutes of yeah. English UK commentary. Same here. And then two minutes of the, the diff, I'll come into this commentary. It was fascinating to me, but we'll come into this later on. Yes. But um, he just referred to him as Mike Harrison of Wakefield. And at one point <laughs> I wrote in my notes, poor Mike Harrison of Wakefield <laughs> about half an hour in. So but again, we'll talk about that in a bit more detail. Hey, Mike, yeah. Mike Harrison holds the Wakefield school's record for the quickest 100 metres. <laughs> Well, at least did in 1990. Went to the same school as um as Mike Tyndall. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay. Queen Elizabeth Grammar School in uh, Wakefield, yeah. Does that make him royal as well? Is that how that works? Probably for Yorkshire. <laughs> Close you, yeah. I'm glad you pointed out what you did a minute ago there, Leah. The fact that we all watched the first 78 minutes with English commentary, English slash Welsh commentary, I suppose. And then the last two, because basically that is on YouTube as a VHS recording yeah. uh, where it's fuzzy from the start and it seems to have Batman commentating on it at the very start. So, oh, and then suddenly it, it like kind of, it gets itself in shape and starts talking normally. And then for the last two minutes, it cuts out and you think, thank fuck it's over (laughs) and then you realize when you pull up the team sheet and everything that that wasn't the final score and lee i'm afraid i had to send you a message this morning saying i'm so i'm so so sorry that we'll put you through this but there is more of the game so you might want to watch the last two minutes my favorite thing about that vhs recording is the cut from half time we're clearly that old trick where they stop recording and then they continue recording right Mm. but the transition in it it isn't clean it seems to sound like someone's screaming no (laughs) Which is the same. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. Who was the UK broadcast commentator? Do you know? I have no idea. I have no idea. I've never heard him before and I couldn't work it out, but uh, it's it it was he was amazing. I mean, you say he, I'm pretty sure it was a robot. (laughs) Absolutely zero emotion at all. Apart from endlessly throwing shade without emotion. So I know that on the, the the sort of color commentator was Gareth Davis, the ex fly half, uh, future president uh, of the Water Union as well. Indeed, yes, indeed. And I don't know who the the main commentator was, but he spoke like this, and he'd say, "Oh, and it's now Mike Harrison has the ball, and he's kicked it. Not very good, actually, but <laughs> I don't mind." And then the great thing is that that then finishes and you flick over to the other channel where they've got the Australian commentators on and they're just saying, oh boy, this game's shit, isn't it? (laughs) But the funny thing is, he said exactly the same thing about four times, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. just not changing his tone at all no matter what was happening. My favourite thing about him was that every time Peter Williams kicked a touch, he went, Peter Williams, left-footed. And on the fourth, about the fifth time he did it, he said, Peter Williams, and I went left-footed. And like a beat later, he went left-footed. And he, he said it as if, like, he had a fucking ring-tailed lemur for a foot. It was so unusual or something, you know. Peter Williams, ring-tailed lemur. You know, it was just, it was fucking mad. It's like, yes, we know, and it's not that unusual. He calls him Paul Williams twice as well. <laughs> Just a bit of foreshadowing there for yes. you. But yeah, so you get to the, the Australian commentators. You watch them for about a minute and Mate, a half, and they commentate I, on how shit the game is like six I, times. I, the amount I woke up when I turned over, yeah, I, right? I was I completely tuned out of watching so, the game. And the moment I threw over, I was like, oh, I think okay, I'd have loved is... watching this if I'd given, been given yeah, the other link Yeah, I would have enjoyed yeah. it a yeah. lot more. I've got an 18-second clip that I'm about to oh, play mate, of, of them. Okay. 
Okay, you've thrown off before my favourite thing, which is they then throw over to the anchor, the, the host in the studio, who adds this. It was hardly worth holding up the network news for, really. 16 points to three Wales now to play the All Blacks at uh, Ballymore in Brisbane this Sunday. Highlights, if we can find it. And look, I know we've skipped to the end here, which, to be honest, I wish you could have done one watching it. But we've regularly talked about, oh, they're showing network news after the rugby. But this time, like, everyone was praying for network news. <laughs> they just wanted that news on, man. They wanted to know what was happening in Melbourne. Yeah, because, and even, I think, as England had their last attack as they, before the thing that happened at the end. They were almost sort of like going, and now they're just shittily flinging it across the back line like a load of shit. It was like it was almost like what they, that was the entire tone of the thing. It was amazing. I as I said, I wish I'd seen. I wish I'd watched them clearly tear into this from quite early on, because oh, the energy levels was the complete opposite, wasn't it? And yeah. usually, we have all complained before about when you flick on BT Sport and Austin Healy's talking about how shit the game is. But sure. I was longing for that this time round. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there's a so there's a quote, uh, great quote from John Devereux when asked about this game a few years later, or about twenty years later, he was asked about this game as like one of his defining moments in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and the quote, it he said, "It was a shitty game, but we beat them." Pithy. Yeah. <laughs> You know what? I think that does it. I think that kind of sums it up from a woman's yeah. perspective. Look, we're trying so hard to wrap this episode up 20 minutes in, aren't we? <laughs> so, should we look at the teams? Yeah. Sure, yeah. Where do you, where do you want to start? I'll I mean, tell you what. I'll tell you what. On. There was a lot of news that was being held up. Australia oh. called an election two days earlier, and they held the news up for this. <laughs> it's just as well there was a try at the end. I'll say that much. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's one big... Should we look at the Welsh team? Because there's one really, really notable change, right? There's one really, really notable man coming in for his international debut. Mm. And that is, of course... I don't don't know if I I need to be copyright struck, but I figured having Leon... The audio didn't go through that. That didn't go through. It did not. But a tight head prop for Wales is one die young. Oh, yes. (laughs) Can you hear... No, okay, never mind. Vaguely. It didn't it didn't work. Okay. I played the song from the Listen we have to play Die Young by Dio Hero Black Sabbath to fill in that gap there. It it took me a surprising amount of time to find that. <laughs> Pulled over Turns from out, Western suburbs where you were just hanging around for the summer playing a bit of rugby, apparently. Yeah. I mean this is so basically Die Young was on his gap year. Like he would he'd gone as like a trip out to go and, you know live in Australia for a few months, was playing, yeah, as you say, in the in the suburbs and gets called up out of nowhere. So him and Richard Webster both get called up kind of from from almost nothing. There is a, a remarkable quote from uh, Clive Rowlands, the manager, talking of Dai Young arriving. Dai Young was 19 as well at this point. Wow. Like 19-year-old tight head who gets yeah. called up because he's nearby and he had a couple of injuries. Geography too. Yeah, the Tom Court gambit. So Clive Rowland said, we had a few injuries, so I told the union, we're going to get two new players in. Di Young and Richard Webster, they're both playing up in Canberra. How do you know that? They asked. My son, Dewey, had told me about them. 
And I, so literally, they got called up because his son went, oh, there's two Welsh lads playing nearby. So um, essentially, they called him up because his son's mates. I, I don't know if they knew them, but he certainly, his son knew they were there. Either that or his son's a pretty good scout. Uh, I got a message to both of them to report to the Welsh squad immediately. And when they did, I thought two hobos turned up. They had holes in their trousers. They were wearing flip-flops. I'd never seen anything like it. They were like tramps. I remember saying to Ray Williams, do me a favour, Ray, get them down to a gentleman's outfitters, then a sports shop, and come back with a full new set of kit. When they came back, they looked tidy. Do you think what, what a what a quote of its time? I mean, yeah. For so, so, do, you, do you think that Dowie Rollins was the guy who discovered Nick Tompkins and Bradley Roberts were Welsh as well? <laughs> He's been hanging around the union for far too long. Yeah, that guy sounds like Jimmy Hoffa in the Irishman. He's upset when the bloke turns up in shorts to the meeting. You know, <laughs> yeah. to the meeting you wear a suit. Not taking this seriously, you know. As if he called him to Wales, well, I'll have to go buy a suit where I can rock up to play a rugby game. <laughs> I was it's die young, you know. I suppose he was nineteen year old, we didn't nineteen then, we didn't know. But I it feels like the only suit Die Young would ever need didn't come with shorts. Do you think this is the re- that's this is the bit when the like the breaking glass bit where he sort of then went into full number ones? Because he's quite a dapper fella, Die Young on the kids, yeah. isn't he? So I think maybe this was the point at which he, he learned his lesson good and was was forever in full suit, whatever the weather after that. But Die Young is also a man, not to Adam Jones degrees, but clearly fond of a pair of shorts. Like, and I wonder if this is, I don't know, I find it very easy to imagine Die Young turning up in flip-flops on his first day (laughs) training. Especially if he's, you know, 90 and he's never left the Valleys before, and now he's in Australia in the summer. I mean, and then and then he call you up, he's saying, yeah, you know, I mean, I know that England were terrible there, but it was like, yeah, Aya, you're going to prop against Paul Randall now. Yeah, it's quite the thing, isn't it? It shows yeah. you how just immensely good he was right mm. from the off, basically. But... Yeah, he played quite well by all accounts. Diana, yeah, I think that scrum time, he the the first scrum, he actually managed to sort of do a decent job on Rendell, which is pretty unexpected, especially with the context of him being nineteen. Yeah, it's frankly very impressive. The scrums back then, I mean, you forget. I mean, obviously, you've been watching a lot more of this than me. So, but I, you kind of yeah. genuinely, you, you do kind of gasp a bit in the way in which it comes together. It's like somebody knocks down two Jenga towers and it somehow falls together and forms a bungalow. <laughs> you know, because it just goes, whoosh, yeah. and then it's like set, isn't it? It's, it's like a really strange rhythm to it, like falling in on itself and somehow nobody dies. <laughs> so far, anyway. Yeah, well, we've, we've, got, we've got more time to cover. And the other thing is, right, there are still lots of scrum resets. And that's the thing when people talk about how quickly the scrum, you know, set and how quickly things got going. Everyone forgets there were still just as many scrum resets, if not more. Yeah, they just set them quicker because they didn't care about safety at that point, did they? They just cared about getting everybody in. I mean, it was fun to look at, wasn't it? Yeah. Whether it was efficient is is a different story, but... Yeah. Should we look at the England team? Mm. Uh, sure, yeah. So, so yeah. the lead-in to the England team, right? Um, in between the pool stage and the quarterfinal, the RFU had booked the full squad to go to a Hamilton Island resort. Um, oh. And he has to go to New Zealand before flying over to Australia for this game. Um, where, right, the team enjoyed swimming, sunbathing, paragliding, and water skiing. 
And when asked about this game, again, later along the lines, hmm. when kind of reminiscing for this, Yaya Evans said the thing he most remembered about the England team was how kind of toned and tanned and bronzed they all looked when they turned up. <laughs> At first, when you said the Hamilton Resort, I thought you meant like they'd sent them to watch Hamilton and then go enjoy <laughs> themselves for a couple of days. But no, but I remember Hamilton. In either of those things, it, you know, it seems strange that's what they were doing rather than working on backs moves because it looks like that's what they should have been doing yeah. having witnessed this game. So We'll come it, on to it, but one backline back move I think we really should have learned is give it to Rory Underwood, and they really struggled <laughs> with that one. It's funny, it's I the think most Yaya did a reasonable job on him, Yeah, apart yeah. from a couple of notable moments, to be fair. Yeah. Yaya Evans was about the only player in this game that made me not regret having eyes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there was a handful, and I'll level with you. I don't think any of them were English. <laughs> I'm trying to think about when we get to the end, and I've got to try and say something good about England where I was going to pull that from. But we'll come that we'll come to that later on. I guess. <laughs> yeah, you've you've got an hour to think. Um, <laughs> the thing is, because I've gone through this whole World Cup, essentially just hating this Welsh team, and just like. You, yeah. you know, like I'm, I, I would like to say that I'm as big a Wales fan as you'll come across. But when I've watched this World Cup, I've almost wanted them to lose every game because they're so shit. And yet they're the second shittest team in this game. It's amazing the power Jiffy can have. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jiffy is a huge part of it. And like Jiffy has much, uh, you think like Jiffy, you are good, but you are shit as well. Like great pair of feet, right? Well, like rest he's... of it. Is Jiffy good? Because, I mean, no, he's no, an incredibly talented player, right? Talented, but yes. The thing I've noticed watching him in this World Cup, watching full matches, is what he seems to do is he basically runs up a blind alley. He runs, like, into a disaster zone, like, makes a terrible decision. Yeah. And then he's just, like, athletic and good enough to get himself out of it. Yeah. And people only remember his kind of, like, them saying his nickname was the Neith Houdini. Because, <laughs> you know, it's exactly the same thing. He puts himself in a disaster, in a trap, and then somehow gets his way out of it. But you know what? There are plenty of tens who don't end up in traps all the time. That's it. Like, Jiffy's rugby brain is, frankly, very substandard. Yeah. His, his, as I say, his feet are world-class. Like, yeah. absolutely, like excellent sidestepper and really, really fast runner. He's, he's the rugby equivalent of Saul Goodman. He just keeps throwing himself into dangerous situations and somehow getting out of it. <laughs> There's a reason why when he went to league, he ended up mostly being a fullback and a centre. Yeah. Mm. They, didn't, they didn't give him... I mean, he did play standoff, but it, it wasn't where he played his international rugby, rugby league and stuff because of it. I think because of what you said, all of his talent was in exactly what you just said. The fact that he get the pace, the step, the way he could step off both feet at top speed. You know, yeah. it, was, yeah. it was remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. There was one moment in this game was a perfect illustration of what you just said where he took the ball off a line out he had to, well, it came to him from the, from Rob Jones. He had time to kick. He decided not to. He stepped the defender coming to him, ran back towards the line out as obviously a wall of white came towards him, and then realized he had to kick anyway, just in a much worse position and hurried. It was <laughs> yeah. that. What, what what was the point of this? But it and looks pretty. Whole, yeah. Sorry, we're still on the teams. I'll no, sorry. The, no, sorry. Go 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 on. Go on. I think we're done with the teams, Lee. Yeah. I think kicking generally in this does. It seemed like the optimum time to kick in 1987 was when you were in a promising position just outside the 22 in possession of the ball. <laughs> yeah. The option was always, I'll just lump this up like in front of the post and see what happens. 
When it's, it's like you've got an entire team outside you, and you've got your pack just there, sort of thing. And it was the most, the most bizarre. Obviously, very clearly coached by everybody. Yeah. As soon it's, as you get there, just hump it up in the air. The very first thing that happens in the game is England yeah. get a line out, and Peter Williams sticks the ball miles in the air, and you can simultaneously hear fifteen Welsh voices all shout, "Yours!" <laughs> as suddenly the ball descends to the floor, thumps off the floor. Bounces miles in the air, and Bledham Bowen is then there thinking like, oh, all right, never mind. I'll deal with this. I'm the responsible one. And as the ball bounces back down towards him, he still sometime, somehow drops it. And it's, it's like, Jesus, yeah, John Devereux, like, like bats it to... forward. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, volleyball really style. impressive knock-on. And the referee somehow sees that as a 22 dropout, which is funny enough in but itself. We have two 22 dropouts in the first minute of this game. Yeah, it's mental. <laughs> the one that I love is that there's one where you don't actually get to see the dropout. You just see that the ball has been somehow twatted downfield because there is a line mm. out that is now taking place in the opposition 10 metres line. And the commentator says it was returned with some interest, which can't really be the case because they don't make it back to halfway. <laughs> the ref, it's... by the way. Oh, Jesus. What's his name? I mean, Rene something? Hoquois. Yes. And it's just the body popping. In in mid eighties, body popping that he's doing when giving signals that nobody really understands, but the flourish of them is is quite something else. It's it is it is proper thriller era refereeing, isn't it? It's unbelievable. Yeah, in fact, he had to go ow as he puts his hand up or something. But it's it's, it's um, amazing. Yeah. There is there is one point like in the second half where the commentator slightly starts to develop a personality and says like, "Oh yeah, this referee's hand signals are really confusing," and that's you know that's the first opinion he has uh, in the whole game. And you think, oh, "Jesus, get off the fence, pal." <laughs> but, uh, I will say in the opening minutes as well. One thing that I did like is that there's there's not really a day goes by that I don't miss dummying off the back of rooks. Rob Jones, oh, yeah. Rob Jones does a fucking worldie here to win a penalty for. <laughs> For Wales. And honestly, I just think we should just bring it back. I think defences are already having too easy a time. I think I'm absolutely all for that law variation coming back. But it was wonderful to see. And the amount of times he gets away with it or the referee just goes, yeah, right, you can have that. And plays full for it every single time yeah. as well. I don't think I've ever seen somebody call another Skorov's bluff. With just how theatrical it is all the time. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the brilliant. thing is what you realise, though, with that is that every pass then is theatrical. Like a scrum, the scrum half picks it up off the, like the Harding, the England scrum half, picks the ball up off the back of the scrum, what's effectively a kind of 9, 8, 14 mm. type move. And he's got to pass it about a metre and a half to Dean Richards. And it's still the full hold the ball like a submarine, arm out, rocking motion, fling it, spin pass. And it's like, it's literally, you could just literally just dolly it up with one hand to it. But everything's this very theatrically coached, yeah. Old school, yeah. flailing, heavy, cotton-armed windmill of a thing every time you pass the ball. So I think that's why the ridiculously elaborate dummy somehow works, I think. I will add, it's very strong of you to refer to Richard Harding as a scrum half. Yeah, oh, God, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's like the one thing from the England team is that Richard Hill, not that one, and Rob Andrew, <laughs> yes, that one, have been preferred. Well, they've been left on the bench, having probably been the better to like halfback pairing England have had in this World Cup. Yeah. And instead they put in Richard Harding and Peter Williams as their halfbacks. And that certainly was a choice they could have made. Peter Williams of Oral, born in Wigan. So that that got my attention going. Yeah. Dad played prop for Clinetley. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
four caps, zero points. No. He's a fly half. Four caps, zero points. That's the and, first nugget of fascination with Peter Williams I will leave you with. And to, to put that on a bit of a cliffhanger, we'll touch on this in a little bit, but it's not like he never attempts points, is it? Mm. <laughs> Just going to leave that cliffhanger there for the time being. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Well, going back to your point about the ball flying alone, people shouting, you're a man. Going back to 1987 and mm. my me then, mm. I used to live in a, it was an estate built in the 60s, which was a lot of semi-detached houses, you know, that those kind. Yeah, yeah. There was a bit, my mate lived in the bit where there was two gable ends and a driveway. And you remember, you know, the big, the rubber power balls that we used to have as kids, it used to, the little rubber oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, balls. Yeah, we yeah. used to go into his drive in that bit and then fling the ball as I was cutting it and it'd ping and pang and pong off all the walls, and you'd be like ducking it. It was like funny. That was basically <laughs> the ball this entire game. <laughs> yeah. It was like it was basically a, a, a solid rock of rubber that we were pinging against the 60s semi detached gable end, <laughs> but it, it was coming off the players. It was incredible how many different angles it could pop out too fast from <laughs> in the wrong direction. It was staggering right from the off. And the amount of very simple passes that should be going to hand that somehow result in the ball like catapulting <laughs> on the opposition 22. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. It, it did feel completely randomised. And like to half skip ahead, the first try in the game scored by Gareth Roberts is exactly that. That England have a put into a scrum five metres from their own try line, get absolutely murdered, and then the ball just kind of like explodes and kind of randomizes and just it's somewhere on the try line because it's just it's popped out like it's been sent into the into the ether and then gareth roberts kind of sees a bit of the ball that's uh you know the remnants of the ball that's just exploded and grounds <laughs> it and technically that's a try yeah um, that try though that was you go back to jiffy that was the arrival of jiffy wasn't it round about was it 28 minutes or something it was mm. like, he was like, I'm going to have a run now. Because it had just been yeah. fucking dreck for like 20 odd minutes. And then he decides to go, oh shit, oh, oh he's in. He's back. And then it ping pong, ping pong and somehow went over. But it was, yeah, that was kind of his his, his arrival. But um, before that, I did love the commentary of Paul Thorburn lined his kick up. And the, the, the commentary went, Thorburn, not a difficult kick. 
and he shanked it about two kilometers <laughs> wide from just from just right of everything about this game every motion and every person lacked proficiency in every way whatsoever <laughs> anything that people were asked to do for the most part had zero proficiency to it it was in a way it was it was morbidly beautiful it's a terrible day for goal kicking in general <laughs> like <laughs> There's a there's a one Jonathan Webb lines up where I kind of skip forward a bit while I was kind of working through oh, it. We, we know, were all doing that, weren't we? Let's yeah. be honest. And as I'm skipping forward, I kind of go like, wait a second, how did the ball end up there? And I then have up- to rewind and watch the kick again because it 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 lines up, it ends up closer to the corner flag than the posts, and he is kicking from halfway between them. He managed to kick it the wrong the wrong the wrong side of him. Um, and I think there's a gust of wind, but you know, it's still still that, some impressive words. <laughs> My favourite one is when Chippy attempts to drop goal and it oh, lands mate. perfectly in touch five metres from it's the like, goal line. It's a... It ends up being a brilliant kick into touch, but he was aiming to get it through the uprights. It's... That's the thing, it puts Webb under so much pressure that he puts the ball out five metres out. Yeah, yeah. It's like peak Dan Parks kicking, except he's aiming to nail a drop goal. Absolutely. And like, not only would that require the ball going a good 10 metres further, considering it was bouncing well before the goal line in order for Webb to field it, but also, let's think, how wide a rugby pitch? However wide a rugby pitch is, half of that to the bloody left. And yet that was the second worst drop goal attempt of this game. Are we, are we going to go there? Let's do it. Sure. Because let's have a little shit it, drop goal it session. It made me think, right, last time we had Lee on the podcast... We put you through watching Toby Flood playing centre for England, receiving the ball about 40 metres out and just randomly sticking his foot on the ball and it bouncing into the French 22 and, you know, it being grounded or whatever. And basically, it was a dog shit kick, right? And somehow, that is the th- now the third worst drop goal attempt we've put you through on this podcast, Lee. <laughs> yes. At least with the flood one, you could say that was always a fucking daft idea. That was never good, do you know what I mean? Because of where it was from. Whereas, back to our friend Peter Williams, mm. in a perfectly serviceable position, and because he's left-footed, it was in. It was on the right. It was on the correct side for him as well. And yeah, I don't know if you want to describe what happened. Well, it doesn't reach his body height. <laughs> the commentator described it as a grass cutter, which I think is spot on. That that is good. That would have, that was after he said it was it was either dreadful or dismal. He kind <laughs> of then moved on to oh, I better kind of be a bit more flowery about this. Yeah, grass cutter. <laughs> Before that, he said it was a dreadful attempt there from 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 Peter Williams. Can we? Can I talk about Peter Williams again? Please, right? please, yeah, go please. for it. Um, He's left-footed. The by drop the way. goal is ridiculous. Played for Oral, left-footed, and I thought, and I've, I thought, I wonder what happened to because. What because you know what I'm like. I'm like, why is he playing rugby union anyway? Sure, I want to <laughs> yeah. go find out what what's happened yeah. here. Well, it turns out he signed for Salford in 1989 okay. and actually played a hundred odd games for Salford, 103 games oh. at centre, and scored 27 tries. Played for Wales rugby league and played for Great Britain okay. twice rugby league. <laughs> okay. So there's a there's a website called the Rugby League Project, which is like kind of a patron and charity get like crowdfunding thing where they're trying to actually get a huge database of rugby league history. Okay, they're also trying cool. to combine it with an oral history. So you have all these stats and then they ask an you... An oral history or an oral history? A what, sorry? An oral history or an oral history? Oh, no, yeah, well, <laughs> that might be another website, but the, <laughs> an oral history. So it asks you to submit memories of players. 
Oh, and okay. they put that on their page as well. And what? Oh, you... nice. So, so <laughs> obviously you can imagine some of the bigger names in rugby league. You've got a lot of this stuff, but Peter Williams doesn't have many. Now, this isn't funny, right, me. really. Okay. However, you have to wonder why somebody would submit this to the rugby league project page about Peter Williams, right? So there's a section <laughs> at the bottom, all his stats, a section of your say, Maria submitted in 2011. I met Peter many years ago at the Willows Rugby Club. He was an absolute gentleman. So far, so nice, right? Lovely. At the time, I was in a very abusive relationship, says Maria. Oh, no. Sorry, okay. <laughs> no, it's not funny, but I've always wondered what happened to the charming gentleman I met in 1989. I now live just outside London. And my boys just started playing rugby at Henley on Thames, says Maria. That, that was a submission to Peter That's Williams' rugby league project page. Dave says, Dave's submission, also oh, yes. in 2011, says, Peter was a convert from Union. Yes, he was. We've just established that, Dave. He joined Salford after the 87 World Cup, which explains his only four, four games, I guess, where he played standoff in preference to his more famous teammate, Rob Andrew. Yes. <laughs> Dave concludes, bet Peter's amused by the mess Andrew is making of the RFU. <laughs> Uh, if only those... Peter Williams had ended up in charge of the rugby league organization, mm, indeed, indeed, the rugby indeed. football league, head. yeah, only. they could have had like, yeah, yeah. Like, like daggers across codes, yeah. even more so. We could have had like a like a generation spanning epic movie about the two of their rivalry, <laughs> so like I think the prestige for rugby. What we learn is is that Peter Williams wasn't particularly memorable in either code. I think he's <laughs> not sure. Include. Yeah, like literally in both of those, at some point they kind of forget what they're actually talking about and go on a separate tangent <laughs> exactly. and like have a sentence that stands out in there. I mean, poor Maria obviously needed to get some of this out. Yeah. So I wonder what, how many times she's just randomly submitted things to websites with that inserted in the middle, sort of in quite a clanging way, and, bless her. And you check the other memories by Maria. Yes, are, yeah. Are they all like this? I'm going to go through a number of Salford players from that period and see if she, she's just saying that about all of them. She yeah. talks about how Rangi Chase reminds her of her parents' divorce. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sorry, that was... Yeah, so that that's the rabbit hole Peter Williams took me down when I was supposed to be watching this rugby game. The fact he went on to win caps for Wales in rugby league is enough. Mm. To then end up in the fact that he single-handedly cured Maria. <laughs> Remarkable. It's amazing what being left footy can do for you. <laughs> I also want to mention Richard Harding, his halfback partner, who... If we oh, must. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll get on to him as a, his performance. But, right, his uh, Wikipedia page refers to him as having two different nicknames. Does not explain either of them. In school, he was known as Gilbert. But... In university, where he went to Cambridge, because of course he's, you know, rugby union, isn't it? Very he's different. He's known as Maria. <laughs> <laughs> he was known as Corky. Can't, can't tell you either. Gilbert might be because of the rugby ball, I guess. Which makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. But whatever it was, okay. it sounds like great banter. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so, okay, so Richard Harding, after this, right? is named captain for England's tour of Fiji. Jesus and then, Christ. And then never plays with them again. Wow. He was the fourth Bristol player to have a captain. Did England. they just leave him behind on Fiji? <laughs> they just dropped him there. He's waiting to get picked up. Jamie Wall almost ran into him last week. I reckon they named him as captain 
just so he would fly out just for a tour that didn't actually happen. So, oh, you're captain. You need to go out there. You need to make your own way, though. You, for some media stuff that you have to Wand- do early. Wandering around Suva, boiling in an RFU suit, <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on. Still going. He's still going. There's a lot of like references to his own great moments on his Wikipedia page, which again tells me he edited this himself. Oh, from, yes. a, from an internet cafe in Suva. <laughs> he's apparently now an estate agent oh okay you know so i hope he's better as an estate agent than he is a scrum off <laughs> when he turns up you go oh it's, it's corky the estate agent <laughs> super's proudest <laughs> yeah. he's actually the guy who sold ben ryan his hut on the beach He's like that Japanese soldier they still found in the jungles for like 40 years <laughs> after the war is finished. He still thinks he's got a game on at three o'clock and they won't be convinced that the team isn't coming at some point. That's why England don't play games in the Pacific, yeah. South Pacific, just in case they bump into him. They're trying to get Dean Richards to go over as his, like, as his like senior officer to tell him it's actually over, but he won't go, he can't. he's not doing it. He's currently done the longest warm-up of all time. <laughs> yeah. And his box kicks are still terrible. Even after <laughs> 20, 25 years try. No, 35 years try. Like, even the All Blacks are worried that if they go over and play a game in Sova, he'll end up being their starting nine. It's horrible. <laughs> I mean, he's qualified for Fiji now, I suppose, on residency. Really so, funny, yeah. 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 <laughs> Draw your own conclusion. So I've completely lost track of where we are in the game. There's a point where Anthony Buchanan gets some weird cream rubbed on his back. Nice. Okay. Speaking of injuries as well, I did love the fact that they, they zoomed right in on Blevin Bowen's <laughs> hamstring strapping at the beginning. Yeah. He has a strap of his hamstring and it just looks like it's, well, it's, it's the worst, most rudimentary thing you've ever seen in your life. And you just look at me, how's that helping at all? They so, say, yeah, very heavily strapped up and it is one bit of tape. Yeah, yeah like literally in the middle of his thigh. It's like they, they, they literally zero it down to this that bit of the hamstring that he's strapping. Just I looked at that bit and I thought, how on earth is that helping your hamstring in the slightest? <laughs> yeah. It seemed to do all right because he was he was actually okay as you yeah, said earlier. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. There's also a point where uh, Gareth Roberts goes down injured, then stood next to him is Jiffy holding Roberts's boot and relacing it, and I can't quite figure it out, but. You know, they're having a little chat with the referee while Jiffy is just doing something to Gareth Roberts's boot. Very confusing He picks it up and he tries to put it back on him and then kind of goes, oh, right, okay. But, (laughs) like, in the age of HIAs and everything we know now about concussion, oh, Gareth Roberts should not have been on the pitch. That was bad. That was He was properly out of it. It was a lot like Jesse Krill at the weekend now where you could tell instantly he didn't know where he was. Yeah. No, he shouldn't have been playing. You're right. Towards the end of the half, general mm. point, and I'm sure you've probably reflected on this in other episodes, thank Christ they brought lifting in. Yes. Yes. Good God. Yeah. And, but on the more simple point, poor Mike Harrison of Wakefield, right? He spent most of the first <laughs> half dropping the ball and generally having a mare. Um, then gets a, decent, gets a decent run going at one point and manages to welly the ball as he attempts to chip it over Paul Thorburn, he wellies it straight into Paul Thorburn's fizzog, <laughs> full on in the face. And it f- springs forward in that explosive way the ball was doing. 
And then about three people try to fly hack it. And it goes in about four different directions. <laughs> it's absolutely, that might be given in the second half, actually. No, it's it's a, it's a remarkable bit of work because you do have the moment of going, oh, good on Mike Harrison. I'm glad he's got, oh, yeah. okay. There we go. It was yeah. coming. And then basically his frustration is taken out on Jiffy's head. Yeah. Jiffy manages to gather this nightmare fly hacking stuff. He just flies in and lamps in one full windpipe job across the head. The great thing is he goes out of his way to make the tackle high. Mm. He kind of like jumps around to grab the back of his neck like a vampire. Was that was that on Jiffy, was it? That was on Jiffy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because there, there was a part you know of me what? thinking like, and, he's had it coming. Yeah, unfortunately he left his windpipe still working. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Imagine Jiffy saying numbers, one of those things you have to press on your throat to speak <laughs> that people are in that accent. Numbers. <laughs> but it's the, um, the um however I will say later on, Richard Moriarty, who never forgets, does nearly dislodge Harrison's head from his shoulders in the second half later on. With yeah, a of course he does. Tackle. Yeah. yeah. Just you another know, it's, day it's of the standard, job. Standard Moriarty stuff, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed. Just, or Dick you know, Moriarty, at least minutes. Calling him, which makes him sound yes. ludicrous. <laughs> There's two more points I think I got in the first half. One of them is that Yian Evans makes his break from Jiffy getting charged down, which is bullshit. <laughs> and he goes like half the length of the field, and I thought he was going to score for a moment. As I say, Yian Evans is great fun. Mm. He is yes. absolutely rapid. Having him against Underhill as probably the two quickest players in the tournament, or certainly up there, is a lot of fun. Having yeah. the two of them constantly trying to just outpace each other. Um, and yeah, whenever Yayan gets a run, it is suddenly the game is worth watching for 40 seconds. Yep. Yeah. The other thing I have from the first half is there's a point where Jonathan Webb passes to himself or passes to nobody. Yeah. Um, and instead of going and diving on the loose ball, he just stands there and just leaves it for a Welsh player to dive on instead. It just spoke shit. a lot to the entire aura of this, but it uh... My my one of, well the thing I noticed which got me thinking is that at one point there's an advertising board in the background which says Stein Lager voted world's best lager yeah. exclamation mark and have you said, have you covered this before I mean it's come up in passing they we've, we've brought they've up had Stein a lot lager. of a lot of sponsorship deals involved in this World Cup with Stein Lager yes. and it just got me thinking how does one conduct such a vote in 1987 that's in any way legitimate. It's a very you know, how, good question. How is, how is this done? Is it like, did they just ask the people of New Zealand, do you think this is the best lager in the world? <laughs> like when Saddam Hussein on that referendum, well, he should still be president before he died, you know. It's a, it, it's, it just, my mind just boggled about it, how on earth, I mean, it's hard enough, I mean, now with the internet and the like, but, you know, but it's yeah, it just point, made me think, because... how, how, how are these things, and, you know, what's your, cro- is it a cross sample? Is it a poll? <laughs> is it, you know, I was, I, you know, I, just, I went off on a complete, this shows you again, the quality of the rugby was outstanding, because my brain <laughs> was, off on, was off on the polling methodology of the Steinlager vote. I mean, you have a point, though, because it doesn't mean that it won the majority vote. It just meant at least one person voted it as Oh, such. true. <laughs> yes, true. Yes. It meant the Wizards, one or two people said, would you say this is the best lager in the world? As long as one of them said, says yes, they can use the words voted best lager in the world. <laughs> yeah. And we know advertising standards wasn't, was not as strict back then, especially not in New Zealand. We've watched some of the adverts they broadcast back on these games. But seven billion people didn't vote for Stein Lager being the best in the world. Ah, yes, but you're assuming that they wouldn't have done had they been polled. <laughs> 
We also, speaking of um, like sponsors, I now every game, especially now we're getting into the bigger games, I am looking for the Maserati in the corner of the pitch and it the is Mazda. not there today. Yes. The Mazda, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Mazda in the corner of the pitch <laughs> yes. has been given out to the best try of the tournament. And yeah. tell you what, right, with how bad two of the Welsh tries are, I did wonder whether they're going to just take the car away from the players. <laughs> like, is Gareth Roberts just going to lose his car as a result of how bad his try was? The, the Mazda gets driven further and further away <laughs> the longer they watch Wales play rugby. Also, I mean, I will say about, as usual, an oasis of quality, even if it was misplaced throughout the entirety of this, was watching Robert Jones pass the ball. yes. Which yeah, is just yeah. something you can never tire of watching in, in any way, shape, or form. However, he's so enamored with passing the ball. I don't know if it's his decision, but he makes Jiffy line up about 13 miles behind him for every kick. <laughs> I think just so he can show how beautifully executed his passes. At one point, John Devers offside. So well, of course he was offside because Jiffy was literally 500 meters behind him when the ball was <laughs> passed to him. So no wonder he ran offside. It's, 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 some of the decisions around the setups and the depth that people stand at, man. Yeah. It's just, so what do you, I know it wasn't as hard to break defences down then, etc. But no wonder they must have been fucking, the minds must have been blown when Walter Little turned up and the like stood, up, <laughs> stood a bit closer. Do you know what I mean? It's absolutely incredible. It would have really helped if Wales learned the offside from kick rule at some point before this quarterfinal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's a particularly egregious one for Richie Collins in the second half, isn't there? Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, do you want to go into that? I mean, it's just bad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. He actually tries his very best not to be offside until in the end the ball's just too close and he can't resist actually <laughs> just getting involved. But again, he doesn't catch it. As usual, he just punches it in a random direction, which <laughs> and the ref does a weird jerky movement nobody <laughs> understands. And somehow it's an England penalty. I mean, I think... By this point of the first half, and certainly by the time I get off to this, were you keeping track of Wales's penalty count at any point? I it's ridiculous, isn't it? I think they throw it up at one point. It's like sixteen penalties Wales to England. <laughs> yes. Like, hold on, how is that also the score? <laughs> yes, was, I'm pretty sure they were on twenty by the end of this yeah. game. Wales, they probably were. It's ridiculous, and yet England can just do nothing with it. I mean, we probably need to pause to talk about just how absolutely appalling England were at everything they attempted. Yes, yes, indeed. Hits for touch were terrible. Drop goals are terrible. You've mentioned John Webb's unbelievable shanking of a kick. Mm, yeah. I think if you're going to look for small bright lights in the darkness, he was actually okay, John yeah. Webb, I thought, in some of the stuff he was at least trying to do. No, no pass was too simple to ruin. No. no alignment was too, you know, simple to not do correctly in the back line. No one, no, it was just unbelievable. And they, and they just kept trying them. Um, no matter how much it kept going wrong by flinging it, they just kept doing it. <laughs> it was just, why do you keep doing this? Peter Williams is not your man to shape this. The scrum half's <laughs> taken five minutes to get it out of anything anyway. Just please just give it to Wade Dooley or something and let him have it for at least 12 minutes. <laughs> what he does with it. That was the other, like, if you're picking a bright, like, a bright spark in this England performance, is, do you know what? Wade Dooley was a prick and that was his job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's very good at that, isn't he? Like, he has done what has been asked of him. You know, if you're to line it up, he has done exactly that. 
There's a point where Mike Harrison gets put into touch and the referee penalises him for it. <laughs> Clearly he's so sick of England shit. And how how is Nigel Redmond only 23 years old? What? No way. No way. I figured he was like 38 and still getting away with it. There's yeah. another broader question here is why were so many people bald? Right there. <laughs> but I think I've realised it's because nobody did the full shave, did they? When they were born, nobody went all oh, shit. It was perfectly acceptable to have this randomized thatch of hair mm. looped around the sides of your head back then, which instantly made you look about 46, <laughs> even when you were 23. But everyone had lost their hair by, I don't know. Maybe I'm I mean, I'd lose my hair if I was playing issues. in this England team. So, yeah. <laughs> I think it was if the, Richard Harding was the halfback, then, you know, that's, that would have aged me about 50 years. So, an entire like diet of like having a chip pan on the go and crispy pancakes just actually made everybody lose their hair in the eighties and the seventies. I don't even think I think of, but yeah, <laughs> unbelievably, like everyone's just got proper like middle aged dad geography teacher hair, and yeah. yet they're athletes playing at the top level of a get not a professional game, admittedly, but even so, Jiffy's hair, man, Jiffy's hair, <laughs> just. Another extraordinary thing about there's a right there's a I got really angry at one point I almost kind of lost my shit over how has how have I've listened to so many probably hours over my life collectively of Jonathan Davis not that the other one the old one <laughs> refer, talking about how angry he is about pointless kicking and then I, watching him pointlessly kick the ball away so often but so genuinely often, it's I know it's it's a stupid thing for us as three people who don't know how to play rugby sat in a room. It I know it's pointless for us all to say this, but I just genuinely think he does not understand the philosophy of kicking rugby. But I think also it's before people have kind of worked. It's before any nobody had nobody did at this point. But it genuinely really frustrates me about Jiffy in particular because of the context. Oh, you mean Jiffy nowadays? Um, well, to a lesser okay. extent that's the thing but... it's because I've listened to him complain about good kicks so often yeah the watching him kick badly hurts that's, more that's it than, because like Peter Williams you know if he kicks badly I'm like okay good on yeah, you yeah yeah good yeah. on you you sold Maria whereas Jiffy so... has such an ego about him that <laughs> yeah uh, like even still that is hard to know I'm just sick of Jiffy his touch finding was pretty decent, Jiffy. He I was. Think that's in a way yeah, he still yeah. clings on to now. Like all of them knobheads cling on to now. <laughs> but somehow a spiral touch finder beautifully executed that bounces in touch five metres from the line is the only good kick in any form of rugby. It's Even just if you're completely trying to drop infantile. Gold. You know, yeah. that whole thing around, you know, people used to, when um, Phil Bennett died, mm. rest his soul, mm. Mark mm. Ring it was on the yeah. game it was all over twitter talking again about how he wasted no it just it just dropped into touch and that's what made him amazing yeah but if most people tried that most of them wouldn't and they'd be dropped <laughs> do you know what i mean it's yeah. like they've got no concept of percentages or playing to any kind of strategy it's just anyway yeah we could go yeah but, it's, uh, but again <laughs> and it's not like you said the, the frustrating thing is it's not even like you can come back here and go oh yes look how brilliant all this kicking was but then I understand why yeah. you're so fucking in love with it. You know, it's not that... Um, sorry, I'm swearing all over the place here. You Please, continue. Lee, you're, Lee, you're from the Blood me. and Mud podcast. <laughs> just, you, know, I don't, you, know, your, you know, your house, your rules. And all Sweary that. pipe bomb of rugby knowledge. <laughs> Indeed. I reckon that generally our cap is that we like to have about 90% as much swearing as Blood and Mud. You know, that's fair. Yeah, that's all right, then. I'll carry on. Then. I have actually cut it back, so yeah, I'll, I'll let loose for this second half report. Yeah, yeah. Please oh, mate, we've still, we still got Josh yet to come on the series. Don't you worry. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, yeah. 
at one point in the towards the end of the first half as well, uh, John Devereux goes for an interception with his head, and he headers the ball into touch when trying to intercept it. Just just a, just a moment I enjoyed from yeah. the first half. Yeah, I um, like that. He is noticeably stronger than everybody else, John Devereux. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it is really noticeable. Before, I mean, I, I, I knew he was strong in league, but it's a different conditioning thing, even in the 90s. But sure. He is noticeably a much stronger player than everybody else. And poor Salmon in the England midfield. He was just... Oh. Yeah. The, a pair of them, really. Kevin yeah. Sims as well. Kevin Sims is completely anonymous. He probably just on the end of a ball, bouncing off his head three times. <laughs> The only the, the Welsh player from this World Cup that it is easiest to find quotes of them talking about it is Mark Ring. Like there's a lot of Mark Ring chatting about this World Cup, which is I should have been unsurprising in each of these moments yeah. that happened. I should have won that master. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, he brings up how strong John Devereux was a lot. <laughs> like, it keeps coming up every interview I read from him about this World Cup. He lost a few wrestling matches with him in training, didn't oh no, they didn't train, did they? But you know, fill in the blanks. Also, did we see Da Young's moustache in this game? Oh, yes. This vintage, oh, glorious. Certainly did. Absolutely glorious. Bring it back. V- vintage grown to, grown to get served in the offy when you're 17. <laughs> yes. That is. I reckon he did his research on the referee and tried his best to look as much like him as possible to try and win him over. <laughs> Can we have a moment to talk about the referee, by the way? Yes, Rene absolutely. Pourquoi, the yep. French referee. I don't think I understood a single decision he made over the game. <laughs> There's one point where he just sees a ruck, does a really long blow of the whistle, and then just puts his thumbs up. It's like a signal for what he's doing. He doesn't say penalty one way or the other, scrum one way. He just puts his thumbs up, and the player's like, okay, what do you want us to do with that, mate? And then eventually England have a penalty. He does a knock-on movement at one point in a ruck, uh, but it's a Wales penalty. He signals for an England knock-on, and then it's a Wales penalty. And even like Jiffy, you can see Jiffy looking a bit quizzically at him as the ball's being passed to him to kick to touch. There's yeah. one time where the ball is about to be played out the ruck by Rob Jones and he just blows up and awards where as a scrum. <laughs> <laughs> we were already there. We were all, we've already got this far, mate. But I mean, my theory on this is similar to, because we kind of discussed this with Jamie Wall last week, but all three referees that they had in this tournament are either English or Welsh. Mm. You've got Clive Norling, Derek Bevan and Roger Quittenden are the only three referees we've really seen all tournament. And now Wales are playing England. You can't get one of them to ref. So they've clearly just dragged a French bloke off the street and gone, got a whistle. Uh, You need to go in there, do your best, pretend to know the rules and you'll be fine. This was one of two games he refereed at this World Cup and he refereed two more at the next World Cup, which kind of makes you wonder why he was there if they're only giving him two games. But, he right. looks like a mime artist they found on some <laughs> touring company, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like a really budget mime artist. Yeah. And hence him not really understanding the signals he's doing, you know? Like sometimes. I mean, how how do you even start to decipher the knock on situation in some of these little, you know, things that present themselves in this game? He quite there's there's one point where you think there were at least five knock ons there. And he's not given a single one. He's just said, <laughs> there you go, lad. You kind of feel lucky whenever he gives, like there's a point in which Mike Harrison drops a high ball in front of him. And I was genuinely surprised when he blew up for the scrum. <laughs> like I was not expecting him to do it. Uh, he went on after this to referee the 1989 Lions test with the second test, which is now referred to as maybe the most violent rugby match of all time. Oh, wow. So he was in charge of that. And then, right, in the same year, he was the linesman in the French Championship final, the kind of precursor to the top 14, right? In the final, 
<laughs> in the 54th minute, the referee, Mr. Lamonet, went off with a broken leg and he <laughs> took over. <laughs> Callum Clark playing. <laughs> <laughs> like, second division in France, I can understand. Top 14, nah. <laughs> it was 989, man. Like, anything goes there. It's true. It's before TMOs were invented. <laughs> he went on to recover from his... Actually, I think that might be... Oh, no, yeah, okay. He somehow recovers from his broken leg. Somehow. Yeah, people do recover from broken legs. Yeah, as we said, did um... he go to the cave and feed you by sucking a hole? <laughs> Maybe Richard Harding was the guy who, uh, who, who cured him. Yeah. Here's a thought. Anyway, crack on. Um, yeah, he became this treasure of the French Rugby Union from 2000 to 2012. Which, can you imagine how baffled everyone wanting money was? That Do you think that's why the union was in such shoddy shape for so long? <laughs> Did he agree to fund it? I think so. <laughs> he, he put he put like his, yeah, he put his little finger in the air and pointed at the window. I don't know. I think it was a yes. <laughs> And like by the time he retired from being the French Rugby Federation's treasurer, right? He was seventy-four. <laughs> like this was him in his prime. This was him in his like late thirties, right? By the time he's by the time he's nearing eighty, wow! And they've wow. still got him in charge of all money in France. <laughs> <laughs> it's a portion of all money in the world. Yep, we know how that gets there. Yeah, through some French guy. League, don't get me started. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's a point as well where Adrian Hadley knees Jonathan Webb in the back and he penalises Webb for it. <laughs> yeah. It's it, bit, the referee position is like this entire game, really, because, and I mean this really, I watched this, right, and I, even, I wound some stuff back to have another look. It's very, very hard to understand anything about this game. Do, do you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? It's hard to yes. understand. Well, we're going to come to Robert Jones's try in a second half, aren't we? Mm. It's, it's, all of a sudden, we go, oh, some play's yeah. broken out, but I don't understand how, why, <laughs> or what's contributed to it, or what decisions have been made to make this happen. But something's just, just broken out somehow. Yeah. I mean, I, I know this is like, I have thought a few times during this World Cup, I wish I was watching rugby league from this era. <laughs> when at least you'd get some kind of structure because the kind of loose occasional tackles made to... as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look at that tackle technique. The the looseness of union, the kind of you know, the fact as we've talked about before, you can control possession, you can keep hold of the ball and so on. At this point, really didn't mean anything. Like yeah. no one had worked that out. And so it ends up being st- stupidly loose. And as you say, like if we look at the the Robert Jones try, I've got no idea where it comes from. There's no build-up or anything. It just kind of just kind of yeah. comes out of somewhere. All of a sudden, Blethyn Bowen is sort of free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, then Richie Collins bursts Yeah. Free. Like Richie Collins, as you were alluding to earlier, Lee, kind of just makes a living off being offside all the time <laughs> and then accidentally finds himself in a brilliant supporting position and runs like 20 metres, tries this offload to Rob Jones, who just kind of hacks it on, sort of volleys it. And at that point, I kind of go, oh, wait, I know this try. Like, I've seen this on, like, mm. VHS tape growing up. <laughs> and, yeah, he beats Richard Harding to the ball, well done, and grounds it. Richie Collins was also a Wales international basketball player. What? And you think he just never learned the difference between the two. <laughs> no. And so he just took basketball positioning at all times. Do you think he invited the ref with him? 
I'm liking to. I'm thinking he's like a proto Chris Ashton, like lurking ahead of play, ready to do a wonderful yeah. support move all the time. One thing I will say that the ref did understand was offside on the kicker, though. Yeah. He got them absolutely bang on. It's the only. It's almost like he was very proud. That's the only thing he actually could understand and wanted to do it as much as he could. And Wales really helped him. So, yeah, I mean, it's a well taken try, I suppose. The. Mm. I kind of have written in my notes, Rob Jones scores a then nice with about 16 question marks trying. <laughs> I think it was. When it when it finally broke out, there was a lot of heads up decision yeah. making that went on, wasn't there? And the yeah, fact that the yeah. ball spilled out was what fucking happens. And and then Rob Jones in the typical bit of quick thinking that he God, he was a good player, man. He was good. Even in this game good. when he wasn't really playing that well, he was still a kind of I found him one lighter. of the bearable players in this game. I think so. Honestly. I think he was yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a point where he puts his kick on the money and like in the corner for Underwood to play it, and like even Rory Underwood couldn't get out of that position as like probably the, the strongest runner on the pitch. Mm. Uh, that he was still forced into touch, and it was just really smart by Rob Jones. As I say, good is a strong word for any player who had any involvement in this game, but <laughs> you know he was he was certainly bearable. Was that um, one more second half? Wait, sorry, go on. No, you yeah. go on, please, please. Yes. A bit, a bit later on, though, t- talking about Underwood is when he actually finally gets away, mm. Mm. and then you think, "Oh shit!" sort of thing, because the, the the pace is back then. But again, Devra covers across very well. It's that I think that's the one when um, Harrison is trying to run in support. And that's the one Richard Moriarty and he takes Harrison's head off to, to bring it to, <laughs> yeah. a, to to a stunning conclusion in more <laughs> ways than one. Yeah, it's what he's good at. You know, you've got to keep your talents. Wade Dooley did it. Richard Moriarty can do it. Just Indeed. keep the headings. Indeed. The, of course, uh, Underwood makes a break and throws this really audacious overhead pass where you can see him thinking about it for about four seconds before he actually does it. Mm. It doesn't really work, but it looks very nice. So you know I'm fine with it. You know what? Mike Harrison runs a really good support line. doesn't matter that he knocks it on. You know, it's no. a good step forward for the England captain. <laughs> yes, indeed. Mike indeed Harrison of Wakefield to give him his full title. <laughs> Mike Harrison of Wakefield. Yeah. Of course. The quickest course. man in oral. I wrote down at one point, England are just like a shit Haguarez. <laughs> but where's Haguardo? Yeah, he's like, where's, where is Haguardo? Yeah, just the, the, the constant lobbing of utter shit everywhere yeah. for, for no particular reason. Yeah, There's that point and We where... could have had like Haguardo's father, who's just Haguardo with a moustache. <laughs> <laughs> and like and a... sideburns. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure he was playing blindside for England. <laughs> Well, um, playing blindside for England was one of the ones they talk about in hushed tones of how incredible he was. Peter Winterbottom, but he was fucking dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a, po- a great point where England get a free kick from a scrum uh, or a line out, and uh, you know the re- well the referee holds his arm up like you know in a bent fashion, and I think the players then just assume that probably means free kick, but we'll stick with it. We won't question it. We'll just try and get on with the game. And Peter Williams is thinking like, right, okay, I'm going to stick this in the air and, you know, we'll compete for it. Richard Harding, however, wrestles the ball from him, takes a quick tap, goes for an up and under, which goes about 15 metres to the left-hand side. And I'd say probably about 0.5, minus 0.5 metres forward. Uh, So it slightly goes behind him. And it's the worst kick he's done all World Cup, which is saying a lot. It's maybe the worst kick of the World Cup end up. It's yeah. very impressive. And like we've seen kicks that go backwards in this World Cup. This is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's 
it's just like it's really the crowning achievement on his day you know because up until then you're going like oh he's having a really difficult day isn't he Richard Harding (laughs) and then watching that moment you go oh he's just dog shit he's just I don't know why at some point in this half Dean Richards just refused to allow the ball out of the scrum (laughs) you know he kind of called for it or he stood on his hands as he went to get it out because Richards was more than capable of holding that ball in there for five hours if you let let him do it and just jockeying it between his feet and and I I just don't I'm very confused with how the forwards just didn't put an end to all this nonsense really and just say no we're having it you don't get to make decisions anymore you know and if you try, and put, you try and put your hands in here you're going to lose your fingers so basically, yeah, that's it like your own players because there's a point at which you you can't you can you shouldn't be doing it anymore if you take this ball off me I'll knock you out yes exactly yeah yeah speaking of knocked out um, mm. my favorite player of all time now Peter Williams. Um, <laughs> Makes Left the very fool- foolishly tries to tackle a large Moriarty at one point <laughs> and ends up crumpled in a heap for at least six minutes. <laughs> yeah. uh, and still it, they don't bring on Rob Andrew. No, They've no, got an still, excuse. I was very surprised when I did skip forward a bit when he was lying mm. there and he thought, fuck, are they still on? But he's still, like again, <laughs> like, him, like in the first half. Rob Andrew then just really warms up like a man who knows there's cameras on him <laughs> and thinking like, what do yeah. they usually do at this point? Uh, you know, trailer of things to come. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And he just does little heel flicks and occasionally looks back to the camera like, oh, it's still on me. Yeah, it's still on me. Or oh, I need to stretch slightly to the side. You know, and he, he looks extremely self-aware and he's warming up. Can I also, sorry, I realised, like a minute or so ago, I clicked back onto Richard Harding's Wikipedia page because I just wanted to check something while I was. And I've just come across, right, at the bottom of his Wikipedia page, there is a really, really long section on his career as, a land, as an estate agent. I say really okay. long. It's surprisingly long and goes into a lot of detail on one particular deal he did in 2008. Oh. <laughs> in which it discusses how he basically bought a house, sold it again for a profit. But he, he sold... That doesn't sound that groundbreaking. <laughs> it, doesn't so... it really doesn't. But it details like 60 grand of it was paid in cash and the rest in credit. The rest as a deferred amount of what it, it goes into way too much detail on one, one deal he did, which lead me to, to, to wonder was that either the most recent one when he did the deal, when he entered this Wikipedia page, or is this about all he's done? <laughs> it then also says personal life. Richard Harding has a wife, Angela, who partners him in business and together they have two children. And in the bedroom. But it, <laughs> <laughs> but it Normally it would say Harding or he or something, but it says Richard Harding has a wife, Angela. <laughs> I reckon that description sounds like somebody's trying to doesn't doesn't is trying to whistleblow without drawing any anonymously whistleblow via Wikipedia to the money laundering authorities. You know, there was sixty thousand. This was in cash, you know. Nobody was quite <laughs> sure where it came from. They're just really hoping all the authorities are really religiously reading shits from our Wikipedia so Let's just pages. say it right now. Richard Harding washes money through property deals. That, there you go. That's, that, that's, that, that's what we've concluded. <laughs> Do you think there's any insider trading information hit on Martin Roberts' Wikipedia page? <laughs> <laughs> there's something to read into. I've, I've just opened his official website, richardharding.co.uk. Oh. And... Do you know what? Is I haven't found anything in Geo Cities. Is it one of them? <laughs> it is quite. Oh, it does mention. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here is Richard Harding's description on the About Us section of his of his his website. Right. Okay. Okay. 
Richard Harding, the governor, the boss. The... <laughs> Good God. <laughs> the man whose name is on our signage and above our door. The man we call Richard. With his kind and gentle nature, his genuine interest in people and their stories, and clearly an excellent nose for business, Richard is our key figure in our, our commander and one of many reasons why we all like working at Richard Harding so much. <laughs> An original Bristol boy, Richard qualified at Cambridge University for a degree in land economy and a blue and rugby. His, his nifty long pass earned him a place at Bristol. His nifty long pass. I guess it was earned nifty him... in the fact it was evasive of the <laughs> yeah. 10 he was trying to hit. Photos or it didn't happen. Earned <laughs> him several caps for England. Richard is too modest to tell you this. <laughs> Richard doesn't want you to watch any of his games. I think Richard fucking wrote this on his website, pal. But you, are, you are spot on there, Lee. Richard doesn't mention this for a reason. In case you look him up and find out what kind of a player Richard Harding was. would like to say that £60,000 was found absolutely legitimately for that deal back in when. <laughs> Along with his wife, Angela, they established Richard Harding estate agents in 1996. Brackets, this origin story is epic and thrilling, but alas, we do not have the space for it here. Richard lives with Angela and their dog, Molly, in Redland. And in his spare time, brackets, if Angela can ever get him out of the office, which, oh, oh, just casual joke about their marital troubles. There. <laughs> he enjoys walking. Oh, there's a full stop. Then blind alleys. <laughs> any kind says of, alone. <laughs> any kind of sport and current affairs, which is why you can't get him out of the office. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very good. Does Angela have a pain? No, I won't do this. We'll we'll leave it there. He's written that himself, obviously. We're all yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, too yeah. modest to mention it, but he yeah. has written that himself. And he's too arrogant to get an editor. Yeah. Because somebody would rip the shit out of that if somebody got hold of it. He actually knew what they were doing. <laughs> that is incredible. That's better than any Wikipedia page that has been self-edited that we're seeing here. <laughs> is is the website of the England Scrum Off. He refers to himself as the boss, like he's Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> but think about this, right? You're two Welsh people, right? Hmm. So what you've got here is 80s England, Cambridge, mm. Scrum Half, now estate agent, refers to himself as the boss or the governor. <laughs> I mean, in terms of the, we would like you to die, bingo. <laughs> For a Welsh, that's too harsh. But in terms of everything that being a Welsh rugby fan despises about rugby in England is probably the full house, isn't it? It's the royal oh, force. It's very close. It's very. It, it could only be any higher if he was good. Yes, or he worked in the city. If he was good and oh, no yeah, yeah, yeah. and for or something. Speaking of somebody who's from a rugby league background, I despise hmm. him. So it must <laughs> yeah. be really, really bad for you. So oh, I'm just about keeping. Then again, him. you do support England, Lee. So well, I know yeah, that's not his it's, choice. You can't, you can't. You know, it's difficult, isn't it? Really. <laughs> It's true. Certainly Support is a strong game. word. Certainly in this game. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a reason why we keep getting you on for England losing games. <laughs> they're the ones I like best, though, just because they're just funny. You can't get too <laughs> upset about it, especially in this game. This is honestly though, this is like watching the Flintstones. 
isn't it? Isn't it though? In terms of when you watch rugby every week, like we do, well, especially yeah. you guys do analyzing the shit. I think I just try and laugh at things, but you analyze the crap out of it. It is, it's, it is like watching some watching the Flintstones or something. It's yeah. prehistoric stuff, man. It's a cartoon version of the and thing not you're even watching. a good way, not in a kind of a knocking shit out of each other way, just in a kind of everyone's just terrible. Oh, mostly yeah. way. Again, like if you go back and watch sixties cartoons that you hear are supposed to be great. I like this is very slow and racist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, if if twenty eleven was Power Rangers, this is the Flintstones. <laughs> yes. Um, should we do the Devereux try? So because I've yeah, got let's... some stuff on after the game as well I want to mention quickly before we wrap up. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, is is it Peter Williams left-footed who throws the pass? <laughs> I'd stop no, it. it was, I think yeah, it's John I think Webb, it is. Maybe. No, I think or, he loops yeah. around Jamie Salmon and then throws the world's most telegraphed pass to John Devereux, who's the just waiting there. The largest, strongest man in the backs. Yeah, indeed, in a bright indeed. red shirt. Yeah. <laughs> who I'm pretty sure starts celebrating before he catches the it ball. Does. Yeah. <laughs> It does that rugby sevens hold it over the ground so you absolutely have to touch it down? Yes. Yeah, 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 and intercepts it and goes all twenty meters to the try line, <laughs> and and scores and it is converted and Wales wins sixteen points to three in an absolute thriller. Sorry to provoke the referee there. Also, um, England of <laughs> England had a penalty. They called a scrum and they ran this play. Like they were clearly really confident. I think play in this. is a generous word. Yeah, because actually, in all fairness, that was the only thing they had. They literally just went, you know, in in all terms, wipers left or wipers right. Yeah, mm. hands basically. It was just that's all they had with no alignment and nobody changing angle at all. Yeah. And even then, they usually dropped it by the third or yeah. fourth person. But that, mercifully, that's the best thing to do because, but the number of times it just went bump, 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 kick. Bump, yeah, because yeah. there was just all oh, the, the times it actually got beyond the second pair of hands and wasn't powerballing all over the place. Yeah, As, yeah, and I mean, like, fair play to Devery for catching one of England's passes because their own team couldn't do it. <laughs> Let me show you how it's done, Beth. Yeah, 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 there's a point at which I think when it's you know, when the full reality of what's happening has somehow taken this long to sink in, where they have a shot of the England coach in the crowd, mm. and it's beautifully done just as he's putting his head in both his hands. <laughs> Thinking, you know, I could I could be sat in the fucking bullwankers club in Richmond right now. Instead, I'm sat here watching this miles away from home. Also, on that on that note, is there a single coach in this tournament who doesn't smoke? <laughs> Very low, isn't it? The, the, the sm- like, no one is as bad as the French coach who was known no. for smoking like up to 20 cigarettes a game. But I think <laughs> I saw both coaches smoking at some yeah. stage in this game. Yeah. But yeah, to be yeah, fair, yeah. I nearly took it smoking about three or four times in this game. So <laughs> the Welsh coach, Tony Gray, the Welsh coach, looks exactly like Jim Telfer. Yeah, actually. Mm. To the point which I was I thinking, why it. is Jim Telfer here? <laughs> And then it was after a while, I was like, they can't be Jim. Because even to the tinted glasses and everything, it was exactly yeah. very, very strange. In full suit and Mac. Gotta love that. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the team doctors are in full suit and Mac when they come on in this. It's incredible. When the doctor's out there, he's in a, he's in a shirt and tie. Sent with Dai Young to go and get their suits. <laughs> yes, all of them exactly. together. See, that's how it's done. He could do it. And he's at work. <laughs> yeah. So, right, this game finished. This game finishes, thank God. Uh, the Wales team are delighted. They'll go off 
singing, cheering. They're very, very happy. A kid pats one of them on the back and they don't notice. And then, right, this is a quote from um, Mark Ring gave an interview to Wales Online a few years ago where he talked about uh, the aftermath of this game. He said, I remember we were all very hungry coming back to the hotel, but the restaurant was closed. We said, we are the Welsh rugby team and we've just beaten England. We're starving. Any chance you could open up and do some burger and chips or something? And they said, not a chance. No. <laughs> but it just so happens that Brian Robson... Wait, you see, Mark Ring says all this. He didn't fucking play. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've not beaten England. The guy who beat you to the shirt scored an interception try. <laughs> so it just happened, right, that Brian Robson, who was the Man United captain at the time, was staying in the same hotel because uh, he'd been playing some preseason games in Australia to get some game time after injury before the start of the, you know, the Premier League season or the first division season it was at the time. So Brian comes over, sees them and goes, what's the problem, lads? <laughs> at which point... John Devereux explains the situation to him and he says, leave it to me. He had a word and it reopened straight away. Wow. So Brian Robson gets the gets the thing opened up and then spends the night celebrating with the Welsh team. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I was going to say well, about Robson guess... was shit-faced. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Mark Ring goes on to say they had a private bar and he paid for all the beer, which, like, you look at this Welsh team, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Ariotti's alone. It's a lot. Yeah. Mark Ring says, I sat next to him. We had drinking games and he was the last one to bed. He was absolutely fantastic. A really good guy. Mm, That's good. Um, I guess the moral of the story is, if you want a big night out, just hang around with the Man United captain. (laughs) Yep. Make sure he's nearby. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, right, that was, you know, night out after a big win, you know, against all of this, etc., uh, John Devereux then mentions in another interview, right, that England had booked a hotel on the Gulf Coast for three days R&R after the game, assuming they'd win. They booked like a luxury hotel. And when Wales beat them, uh, they had to hand the reservation over to, to Wales. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. wonder who did it. Who actually <laughs> had to hand it over? Do you reckon <laughs> it was the prime estate agent, Richard Harding? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the key. Like that... the Ashes Trophy, yeah. <laughs> that is the epic story that they won't tell. The epic origin story. What in what in what world did England think they were going to win this game to a level <laughs> which they booked a luxury hotel? Because I, I mean, there was nothing about eighties England which suggested they were, I know Wales were about to go on their downward trend from this year onwards, but it definitely wasn't here yet. <laughs> no, not quite. I mean, yeah, like they were shit, but England were a whole lot worse. And like, oh, I know yeah. that they didn't do captains' runs, but if you if they did. They surely can't have seen like they're dropping every third pass and going like, yeah, we're going to fucking steamer <laughs> all of these guns. <laughs> yeah. So Adrian Hadley said people said it was arrogant of England to have booked the hotel in advance, but our management hadn't booked anything. They clearly didn't have much faith in us. And again, what made you think you were going to lose this game? The <laughs> <laughs> flip side of the same coin. Yeah. John Devereux then follows up. In hindsight, we probably shouldn't have gone on the piss for four days in the middle of a World Cup. <laughs> That's one of those classic ones. You don't really need hindsight to know that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but hey, have. it was the first World Cup. Somebody had to, had to learn it the hard way, eh? 
<laughs> Jiffy the Nads in a quip. Although we wouldn't have beaten New Zealand even if they'd been on the piss all week. It's which this kind classic, of whiff which keeps him in the media. <laughs> yeah, classic Jiffy line there. Mm. Classic Jiffy line. <laughs> um, and I think that kind of sets up where this tournament goes for Wales from very, very neatly. But that kind of brings England's to a close. They head oh, home God. after this. Yeah. Um, Lee, what are your thoughts and takes on this England team? It wasn't very good, full stop. I think, but it, but I mean, it's it's. I think what you're realizing is it's it's after this that you start to get the shift towards what happened in ninety, from eighty nine onwards into ninety one. Mm. That was when when Jack Ryle started getting moved in, when they finally gave the job to Richard Hill and Rob Andrew, when they finally you know Carling started being eased in. You know, it wasn't England's fault that Guscott wasn't a world wasn't around yet. <laughs> yeah, so that's a bit of a change when that when that comes in. John Webb showed why he stuck around for a while. Yeah, in a kind of weakling sort of way, but sort of did 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 play pretty well. So I think there was the kind of because I think Rendell didn't last much longer after this. Mm. Winterbottom kept going. Richard stuck around, but it's it was it was kind of very much the last knockings of it being an embarrassment, as it had been for yeah. a while, really. And I, and I suppose credit in some ways to the RFU, just that we we have to do something about yeah. this, yeah. whether that's a coaching or whether they actually make some decisions because. It was, you know, it was as unacceptable then as it was between 2003 and 2013, you know, so well, 15, really, in terms of how fucking shite it was. But, uh, yeah, so so that's my kind of takeaway. I don't know how, and I suppose the main thing watching it is, is I know it was raining, but I I literally don't know what they were coached. Yeah. You know, when you watch the game, it's like, I don't know what you coached. It seems to be just boot it randomly. Or just throw it hands left or right randomly with no real thought to it. And maybe that was symptomatic of the... I've not watched enough of this tournament to know, but it feels symptomatic of... Oh, you've watched enough of this tournament. (laughs) (laughs) It feels symptomatic of of the game, of of, of the sport itself, perhaps, at the time, you know. The fact they're all in the piss and not really practising, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, I take it we've, we've reached a point where effectively at the England leaving party, yeah, yeah, yeah. but England have been that boring that we're not going to bother put, putting music on in the background, no. that we're just going to, we're just going to leave them to rot. And like, fair play, because I have never seen an England team as comprehensively bland as this, <laughs> where like, you know, like and you I saw the Shane Garrity team. Right, yeah. Like I hadn't heard of the captain, you know that kind of yeah. thing. Like usually that kind of thing. I was quite a big legacy for the first World Cup as well. But like it's your your point spot on there, Lee. That like fair play to the RFU for turning this round and making sure there's never been an era like this again. Where like because I'm pretty confident, having watched this tournament, that if England played any of the other Five Nations teams, that they would have struggled. And as I say, like I don't think this Wales team's particularly good. And for England to go out. To these it's you know not a great result i think rory underwood's been bloody brilliant rory uh, great. i think he's he's an absolute fantastic player and i've loved watching dean richards play as well just for, like have sort you? of like yeah yeah i have for the birth of shithousery because like all he does is cheat and stamp on people and i he's really good at being that guy in this team and brian moore as well brian moore i was gonna really say good. that yeah um i think because this was kind of brian moore's breakthrough that he'd won his first cap in the Six Nations or the Five Nations early that mm. year. And, but this was where he kind of took the England shirt and he came in for a couple of smaller games and just kept the shirt and kept he the shirt. He was still at Nottingham at this point, wasn't he? Yeah. Yes. It comes yeah. up quite a lot in the commentary. They keep mentioning Brian Moore of Nottingham. Yeah. Him and um, Gary Reese of Long Eaton, of course. Yes, of course. 
Is he still around? Uh, I don't know, but <laughs> I only found out on this podcast that he's a long-eaten boy, which is quite embarrassing. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I think Brian Moore stands out as a, hmm. uh, you know, as I think, I've said this before, but as Dane Coles 10 years ago was like, oh, that's the mold all hookers are going to be in 10 years. Sure. And that's kind of caught up now. And all hookers are a version of Dane Coles. I think at the time you could see Brian Moore coming through and going like, oh, that is what all hookers are going to be in the yeah. 90s. Just um, his first full mm. campaign, wasn't it? Yeah, as I say, he won his first cap in the Five Nations, but kind of took the England shirt here during this tournament. Yeah. And he is very much the, you know, still a shit house, still a prick, but can play a bit, you know? Yeah. Can, like, handle the ball if he has to. He's quite sharp. Does a lot of the kind of, like, clearing up work, like mm. Kevin Mialama used to do a lot, that kind of, like, just being there on the scene whenever you need someone and to... And you can hear him on the ref mic shouting, get this bastard off it, which is always yeah. great. Get it away again. Yeah, I think Brian. I think if I had to pick an England player of the tournament, I think I'd go for Brian Moore. Mm. It's between Moore and Underwood for me. Mm. And Lee, if you had to vote out of nothing that you don't, <laughs> based on one game. Well, we're going to do man of the match. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that and anyway. Yeah. Apart from Peter Williams, obviously, he's now the greatest England player in the history of, there we go. of the entire sport. Yeah. So, um, should we start on man of the match? Should we move on there? Sure. Lee, go on. You can start. You seem I key. Thought on the QT, but I've not mentioned him much. I thought Carlos Roberts played pretty well for a man who okay. was knocked yeah. out a lot of yeah. time. In a game like this, he was kind of quietly doing a lot of stuff, um, which which I thought was quite good. But then again, I'm always kind of attracted to, to blindside flank positions <laughs> performances. So honestly, I thought not the most eye-catching, but I actually watching it and get, I actually ended the try. I thought he uh, did mm. pretty well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I had Roberts written down uh, as one of mine. So I also had written down Rob Jones, who I've also said, as I said, I, I think he was excellent. I think he, um, well, given the standard, he was excellent. You know, he kicked well, he passed well. Generally, he cleared up shit ball pretty well. But I think generally, after everything that's happened, my man of the match has to be Maria. <laughs> <laughs> God, I hope she's all right. She yeah, to, so do I. Right. She I deserves the last 10 years she's found... Happiness for the person who deserves her. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> Mike Williams, maybe. Peter Williams, <laughs> maybe. Or Mike Williams. Or maybe the former ex of the lock. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I I hate having to pick a man of the match here. Yeah. <laughs> um, Shit, it. I mean, so, really, John Dever, I think, plays pretty well, I guess, all considered. Mm. But, you know... Uh, Yain <laughs> Evans is fun whenever he gets the ball, as is Roy Underwood, but neither of them get enough of it to make an impact. And I think really, if you're picking a player who stands out the most to me, it probably is Rob Jones. However, right, whilst watching this game, I picked up my phone and I had a quick scroll through Twitter and I saw a video of Robert De Niro on Sesame Street. <laughs> and in this video, Robert De Niro is talking to Elmo. And there's a whole bit where, um, where Elmo's basically, because Robert De Niro is the greatest living actor in all of this, and he's kind of like, oh, can you pretend you're a cabbage? And Robert De Niro's like, sure, I'll pretend I'm a cabbage. And then it cuts away and cuts back, and Robert De Niro is now played by a puppet cabbage. And he's voiced by Robert De Niro. And it was a very funny bit. And for that reason, my man of the match is Robert De Niro pretending to be a cabbage. Fantastic. That's 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 um, great. That's a really I mean, specific look, one of the match. It should be Robert Robert Jones if we're sticking to players from this game. 
I mean, Maria's taken one vote, so... Uh, the thing that gave me the most okay. joy whilst watching this game... While we're on Robert Jones and, and, and uh, Harding, mm. the po- I loved... Man of the Match was probably that UK broadcast commentator who was the most miserable and yet cutting man I've ever heard in my life, right? <laughs> At least four times he said the game is terrible. At one point he says, he says, and I wrote it down word for word because I was so astounded by it. At a scrum... He said, Robert Jones standing almost contemptuous of the Bristol scrum half as, <laughs> as, 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 as Harry was just putting the ball in. It was, it was, it was absolutely wonderful. Also, he did something I've never really thought about before. He called them lines out. Huh. Yes. Lines out as opposed to like, like courts. He really stumbled over that though, didn't he? Yeah, he's he, like, like, he spent ages court... trying to figure out the plural of line yeah, out. Because it's not court marshals, is it? It's courts marshal. And he obviously took the view that line out, lines yeah. out, or sisters in law, or you know, it was it was that kind of thing. Yeah. But I got Jesus. Have I been? You know. Oh my God. Scales are falling. Have I been saying this wrong the whole time? Is it? Is it lines out? I might start doing that anytime I cover rugby again to see if anybody says anything. Just see what happens until like Victor Matfield tells us otherwise. <laughs> yes. So your man of the match is Robert De Niro as Cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Two just thirds like, of us have just the kind the of game. game it was. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. I wonder how many episodes of this podcast, this specific series, we've avoided giving man of the match to a specific player on the team. Because that joke is pro- has probably run dry quite a long time oh, ago. Yes. But also, so did watching these games. <laughs> Absolutely did. We- we're almost there, though. We're almost through Have this. you enjoyed any of the games thus far? Yeah, a couple of them. Anyway, so it's time for Dicks of the Day. Not Dick of the Days, Dicks nice. of the Day. <laughs> nice, 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 nice. Well, do you want to start? Yes. The thing is, originally I had Jiffy as a contender mm-hmm. because I was thinking, like, it's only fair that as Wales bow out of this World Cup, I give it to Jiffy, who's always been the, the guy. Then I realised, like, no, 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 just because they played shit doesn't mean they're getting knocked mm-hmm. out. I have to watch Wales again in a couple of weeks. Yep. It's awful. Then the other one is... On the flip side of the exact same coin, Richard Harding being the one I usually pick on for England for that that backwards kick is the other thing. But realistically, I have to give it to left-footed Peter Williams for that drop goal attempt. How dare you? (laughs) Think about Maria, for the love of God. Think about Maria. I've given him out of the match. (laughs) Uh, On the similar vet, my dick of day is Mike Harrison for most of what he did. Yeah. Yeah. Or particularly boot, booting a chip through straight into Paul Thorburn's, Thorburn's face was probably my favourite <laughs> bit. And the one bit of daylight he had in the entire game, he still managed the balls up completely. And I mean, look, Mike Harrison... You, is your favourite player? Yes, yes. He is still... <laughs> yep. He's still on track to be in the team of the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> Bear in mind, this tournament has John Kerwin, David Campisi, you know, Yian Evans, Rory Underwood all playing in it. At the minute, I'm just, I'm scrolling through the players with the most man of the match votes and it's it's two dogs, Mike Harrison and Superboot. <laughs> and a cabbage. <laughs> and a cabbage climbing the ranks. And Grand they... boxes below them. <laughs> We've got like, what, four or five more games and... Let me tell you, if Robert De Niro dressed up as a cabbage gets another vote, I won't be too surprised at this stage. <laughs> Could be craw- crawling into that team with a tournament. 
But look, I there's a point in which Jiffy has an overlap and he just thumps it randomly in the air. And for that, I can't possibly give it to anyone else. For, Respect. For me screaming numbers and him not doing it. <laughs> just tweet him that clip every time he's on commentary. From now on. <laughs> so when we were first going through the fixtures of this World Cup, because Jiffy still follows me for some reason, we had a conversation about potentially getting Jiffy on. And you know what? Probably for I'm, this very game, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm very glad we got you in Steadley. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, I will say one final thing about Wales before they move on. You're covering the next mm. game. But this victory is probably the thing that knackered Wales up for the next probably four to eight years. Because think? that victory make, got them seeded for 91, by which time they were fucking terrible. And then that got them in the situation where they ended up in everything that happened in 91. That's incredible true, that to think they could get worse. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? But yeah, yeah, I'm all moderate. Well, obviously there was an excess of our artists, but I know we have run out of time. But yeah, so mm. that's the thing I reflected at the end in terms of where Wales were at. Is it's really strange. This seemed like a very big achievement in a way, which it was. Mm, yeah, but, yeah. Um, it actually sowed the seeds of even more nightmare in in four years' time. It'll just keep going. Oh, we'll get to that eventually. Mm. <laughs> oh, what a what a treat that's going to be. It's going to be like that, but Wales are crap. They're even worse somehow. Like they're crap and they're losing. (laughs) Finally doubling down. So, yeah, Lee, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for sitting through the game. Where can people find you? Where can people find things? Where will people be able to find Blood and Milk when it's back? Uh, Well, thank you for the invite. Thank you for letting me share this with you. I am at Blood and Mud on Twitter. And we're at, if you want to, pay a bit more and get a bit more content we're patreon.com slash blood and mud where for 20 quid a year or two quid a month you can get extra episodes including one we're doing next monday where oh. we're doing the uh well next monday as we're recording this where we're doing the uh new zealand versus rest of the world 15 from 1992 from the centenary oh. of the nzrfu that's that, that sounds monday. better than this game so i'll send you the link and you can watch it and then we you can watch along or whatever on monday yeah brilliant that's our summer yeah. episode but thank you yeah at blood and mud yeah Ooh. No, thank you for coming on. That's um, that's been a, a real joy. And as we've said before, you know, I mean, we we are obviously in touch, but we are both fans of your podcast and uh, enjoy listening to that. So it's great that you can, you know, bring that crossover to here. And also, we've said this before, but everybody who listens to this also listens to Blood and Mud. So I'm sure <laughs> yeah, they're all, both yeah. of them are very grateful. Our listenership, like the Venn diagram of our listenerships, is a circle inside a more smaller circle. Yeah, <laughs> like it's that's just that's just how this lines up. Yeah, thank you very much, Lee. Thank you, Will. You're welcome. We made it. We did it. We got through. We got through this game. Please join us next week when we're covering the final quarterfinal as Ireland's curse begins as they lose 33-15 to Australia, which... In the three points for the try period, that's a fucking thumping, isn't it? (laughs) Proper. And somehow I feel like it's about to get even worse than we've had today. I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like there's actual points and tries there. So, yeah. So, we'll, we'll see you then. Until then, thank you, everybody, and please do not watch this game. (laughs) Yes, that's a a perfect advice to end on. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Bye. Remember to hang out with Man United, captains. And the referee has blown his whistle to mercifully release us all from this tedious 80 minutes of rugby here at Bellingwater this afternoon. Two very poor teams having an off day, but in the end, the Welsh deserved to win, and they did so by 16 points to three. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.